Good morning, everyone. I need to know, okay, here's the deal, guys. First service, I was like, I, I walked off stage feeling a little bit insecure because I'm like, was anybody even in the room? So I need to know, are you guys alive, awake? I need some response today. Oh, good, 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 good. Awesome, awesome. I'm gonna need some feedback today so I don't walk off stage feeling as insecure last service like I did. So listen, if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Pete. I have the absolute joy and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And whatever reason brings you here today, whether you're the invited guest of someone that attends here or you're new to the area or you're looking for a new church home, we're so glad that you're here today. And you're joining us uh, on the final week, as you just heard Pastor Nate say, of a series we've been in called Pray First So That because we wanna help equip you to build some prayers into your life that will really lead to a more passionate prayer life. Because really, as followers of Jesus, you're not part of a religion, you're in a relationship with a living God. And even though we believe, many of us believe that there's power in prayer and that God answers prayer, we don't often pray like we know we should or as often as we should. And I think a lot of times it's because we just don't know what to pray for. And so this series has been looking at four different prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed throughout some of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament, and we're trying to incorporate these prayers into our own arsenal, if you will, uh, building these into our own prayer life. And so for the benefit of those of you who are newer here today, maybe you've missed some of the previous weeks, just kind of want to bring you all up to speed so you know what we've talked about. In week one, Pastor Lauren talked about how we should all be praying that we would be more active in sharing our faith so that... We would all have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That was from Paul's prayer to his friend Philemon. And really, we think about sharing our faith as benefiting those that we're sharing our faith with. But we learned from that week that this is something that we would grow. We would never lose sight of what God has done for us, and we would never forget all of the good things that we have in Jesus Christ. So that was week one. Week two, we looked at Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, and we talked about how we need to pray for power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, because it takes supernatural power to understand the love of God for us and to live this life that he's called us to live. And then last week, we looked at his prayer to the Philippian church, and we learned that we can pray that our love for him would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we could be able to discern what's best. I think everyone wants to know what is God's best for their lives, and the way we do that is by growing in our love for him more and more. And that's the pattern that we've been seeing over and over again throughout these prayers is that, you know, Paul would pray something specific and then that phrase, so that would happen. And then he would give the reason that he prayed that prayer. And so today we're going to learn another powerful truth from God's word by looking at a prayer that he wrote down in the book of Romans to the church at Rome. And it's very, very similar to a prayer that Jesus prayed. And I don't know about you, but if Paul prayed it, and Jesus prayed it, then I certainly want to pray it for my own life as well. And so I'm hoping that this will be something that you could build into your own personal prayer life. And the context of this prayer revolves around the idea of unity. Unity in the family of God, unity in the body of Christ. Because let's be honest, I don't know that the church has been especially known for being unified. 
I don't know how many of you would uh, actually agree or maybe admit that you've heard or been a part of a conversation where you heard another Christ follower maybe talking negatively about another church or another denomination, another pastor. You know, oh, I don't know about that church over there. Maybe you've heard bad things about our church. I don't know. Like, oh, it's a rock church. Why do they have the music so loud over there? You know, but the tragic reality is that there is too often, you know, backbiting and division uh, within the body of Christ. I used to think this way too. You know, not many of you raised your hands, but I am somewhat ashamed to admit that, you know, I, I kind of grew up in a very charismatic, spirit-filled environment, and I loved my upbringing in the church, the, you know, the richness of what I know to be who God is, and, you know, the understanding I have of God's word. I owe all to my parents and how faithful they were to raising me in the church, but I grew up in, in a church where other churches who didn't believe or teach the same things that we did when it came to the gifts of the Spirit were almost talked about in a very condescending way. Like they didn't have a full understanding of what the Scripture actually teaches. And so the term seeker-sensitive was something that was tossed around as being like, oh yeah, they, they, don't, they don't really teach the full gospel. Like we, we've got a corner on the market when it comes to really, you know, having a full expression of what God wants for his church. And I adopted this mentality, and I remember when my wife and I were first married, we were going to New Jersey to visit friends of ours who were attending a church that they themselves described to us as seeker-sensitive, and as soon as they used the term, I immediately, my walls just went right up, and because I'm like, oh, they're, they're watering down the truth. They ain't preaching the gospel, and so I went in with all sorts of skepticism, and I remember walking through the doors and being kind of surprised by how warmly I was greeted. And then the worship happened and I was like, wow, that was powerful. But then the preacher started preaching. And I remember being so convicted in my heart as he proceeded to communicate the gospel unreservedly and without apology. He did not cut corners. He did not water down the truth as he preached it, called sin, sin. And I remember walking out of there and I was like, oh God, forgive me for looking at your church, your body, in a way that, man, I've been self-righteous. I've been pharisaical even. As I've talked about other churches, like, like they're somehow lesser than the one that I'm a part of. And then I began to understand that there are many expressions of the body of Christ that actually add strength and diversity to the body of Christ. You know, my wife recently experienced something similar too. She was visiting a friend of hers and her friend was driving her from the airport to her hometown and kind of pointing out different things in her hometown. And she drove by this one church and she says, oh yeah, that's, that's the seeker-sensitive church in town. And she didn't really say anything overtly negative about the church, um, but just the tone of her voice as she alluded to it implied that, you know, eh, it's gospel light, you know, it's church light kind of a thing. And uh, so today I want to talk about this idea of unity because the tragic reality is too many of us spend too much time pointing at, you know, our Christian down the street, church down the street, different denomination, and we think they're the enemy. And that's not the case because we do have an enemy, but it's not, it's not the church down the street who believes or worships a little bit differently than we do. Because I'm going to argue with all my heart all day long that one of our spiritual enemy's greatest tactics is to divide the body of Christ. He wants to divide us. 
Why? Well, because when we're unified, we are unstoppable in what God can do through us for the glory of God. But he doesn't want that to happen. And when we're divided, we become weak and ineffective at what we can accomplish for God. So today I want to dive into this prayer in the book of Romans that the Apostle Paul prayed that addresses this very important theme of unity in the body of Christ so that we can glorify God. Because ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, your goal and aim in life should be that your life would give and result in praise being given to Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this in Romans chapter 15, verse five. Here's his prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. His prayer is, would you guys think about each other the same way that Jesus thought about you? Would you treat and love each other the same way that Jesus treated and loved you? Have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. Why? Say it with me. So that, with what? With one mind and one voice. You guys can do better than that. Come on, I need some feedback. With one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one mind and one voice, we would glorify God. And then he says this in verse seven, we're gonna come back to this, but he says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. If you wanna glorify God with your life, Christ follower, if you wanna bring praise to Jesus, what do we do? We treat each other as Jesus treated us, we think about each other that way, and then we accept one another just as Jesus accepted and loved us. This is the prayer of Paul. Why? So that we would glorify God. And this prayer is very, very similar and reminiscent to a prayer that Jesus himself prayed that I wanna read to you as well. You're gonna see how similar these two prayers are. It's in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. And before I read it to you, the context here, just so you understand it, this is the last night that Jesus would spend with his disciples before he would be crucified. I would encourage you when you get home maybe to read John chapters 13 through 17. It's the longest conversation that we have access to of one setting where Jesus is, is sharing everything that's on his heart for his disciples on this night that he would eventually be betrayed. This is, we're gonna partake of communion later in the service today. And this is where we get communion from when Jesus would share what we refer to today as the Last Supper with his disciples. And think about it, if you knew that you were gonna die tomorrow, what would you wanna share with your family? What would you wanna share with those closest to you? And we get a glimpse at what was on Jesus' heart that night as he says this, okay, the first 19 verses of chapter 17 is Jesus praying for his disciples, those that were in the room with him. But then in verse 20, he shifts gears and he goes, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's he praying for? He's praying for us. Did you know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you? We are those that believe in Jesus through the disciples' message. He prayed for us that all of them, that all of us may be one. Why? So that, Jesus used the same words that Paul did, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that we as the family of God would be unified. Then, this is so good, then the world will know 
that you, Father, sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's so powerful. Paul prayed for unity and Jesus prayed for unity. Why? So that God would be glorified and that the world would know that God sent Jesus into the world to reach lost and broken people. That's why. So that's why we pray as a church throughout this series, we've been learning, as you've heard me say, we're gonna pray for us to be active in sharing our faith. We're gonna pray for power. We're gonna pray that our love would grow in knowledge and depth of insight so that we could know what's best. But ultimately, what's best is what Jesus prayed for here. And as a church, as followers of Jesus, we're gonna pray what Paul and Jesus prayed, that we would be one, that there would be unity in the body of Christ. And for the rest of your life, I hope and pray that this becomes part of your daily prayer life. That when you go through the list of things, when you approach God in prayer, because we're gonna be a pray first, pray always kind of a people, that one of the items on your agenda when you spend time with Jesus is that you would echo his prayer that the body of Christ, the family of God, would be one. So that God would be praised and the world would know who he is. You know, I asked myself, why, why is this so important to God? Why did he spend his last night praying this? And, you know, I, as a father, I, I believe I'm beginning to understand why God values uh, unity in his family so much. Uh, how many of you are parents here today? Okay, a good, good number of you. Um, do your kids always get along? I've got two boys, six and eight years old, and um, they... Most of the time, well, half of the time, I'll say, they get along pretty well. They play like brothers, but they also fight like brothers. And there are times where it just seems incessant. Like, can you please just stop and get along? Why are you fighting so much? Especially in the car. Why is it always in the car? On a 16-hour road trip. Like, where I find myself now saying things that I remember my dad saying that I swore I would never say, like, don't make me pull this car over, <laughs> right? And you're like swinging in the back seat trying to just knock somebody out so that you get some peace and quiet. <laughs> Not really. Don't call CPS on me. I don't abuse my children. But it's like sometimes I wonder if God doesn't look down at us and say, man, why can't you guys just get along? Why are you always fighting? Because it's always over the stupidest things, right? Like he touched me. <laughs> and the stuff that we argue and fight about in the body of Christ, I think God looks down on sometimes and be like, really? Really? With everything that's going on in the world, you're going to argue about that? Why is it that we fight so much in the body of Christ? Tragically, I think one of the reasons is because we forget who our real enemy is. And we look at the church down the street or, you know, that different denomination as being the enemy. And we forget that we all, if we serve and follow Jesus, have a common enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It's like the Buffalo Bills, right? How about those Buffalo Bills? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Last week was really, really hard. Um, you know, the, the Josh Allen era begins today, and they're playing the Chargers, right? That's our enemy this week. We're, we're going to try to get our first victory of the season. But if next week the Chargers play the New England Patriots, who are we rooting for? Exactly, right? Because we have a common enemy. 
right? No matter who's playing the New England Patriots, they're our friend that week. We have a common enemy. We want to dethrone those blasted New England Patriots. But we as the body of Christ, we need to recognize that we have an enemy whose goal and aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal the unity of the body of Christ, to kill the power that unity brings, and destroy the credibility of the local church that stands for Jesus Christ. And our credibility is destroyed when the world looks in and watches the things that we argue about and we disagree over. We need to recognize his tactics that he wants to divide us so that he can destroy us. Divide and conquer, that's his tactic. That's why Paul prayed for unity and that's why we should pray for unity so that God would be glorified and the world would know that God sent Jesus into the world. So today I wanna give you three reasons that I hope will motivate you to build this request and prayer for unity into your daily prayer life. So number one, the reason we pray for unity, if you're taking notes, write this down, it's because we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other. We need one another in the family of God. Paul said it this way in the same book in Romans, just a couple chapters earlier from what I read to you. Chapter 12, verse four, he says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. In other words, the hand is not the ear, is not the foot, is not the esophagus. We're all made up of different parts and each part of our body has a special function. And without one of those parts, we become very incomplete. We don't function properly. He goes, so it is with Christ's body. We, meaning Jesus followers, are many parts of one body the body of Christ, and we all belong to each other. Guys, we are a part of a broader family and we are different by design. We need to understand this when we talk about unity, that it's not the same as uniformity. It's our differences that actually bring strength to the body of Christ. It's our differences that make us more effective in reaching more people with the gospel. We can't all look the same, talk the same, act the same, believe the same even. Unity is not uniformity. In fact, I asked you earlier how many of you had heard or participated in conversations you know, where people had spoken negatively about a church or maybe even our church. And what I hope to communicate to you this morning, what I want you to understand is that my sincere hope, this is my posture as your pastors, I, I hope that you will never hear me talk negatively about another movement, another denomination, another church, or another pastor. Because this happens all the time in the church world where I could very easily, some churches will like push against other churches to make themselves look better. Maybe you've heard a pastor say, hey, when you come to our church, you're gonna hear the truth. You may not hear, all the preachers may not preach the whole word, but here we preach the word of God. And that sounds like great preaching, but what are they doing? They're pushing against other styles, other churches to make themselves look better. By saying, we say it like it is. They may not say the whole truth, but we say it like it is. There are preachers who say, we're not like those dead, boring churches. What is that? They're taking a shot at other churches. We're not like the frozen chosen. We're not like those crazy, charismatic, tongue-talking, weird churches. We're not like those small country churches. We're not like those big, mega churches. What is that? 
Who cares what you're not like? Can you just be who you are? Can we just be confident to be who God has called us to be as a church? We don't have to push off of somebody to make ourselves look better. We're just gonna be who we are because the reality of the matter is that frozen chosen church is gonna be able to reach somebody who thinks that our church is way too crazy, right? And those crazy charismatic tongue-talking churches are gonna have power to reach people that we can't reach. And small churches are effective in ways that large churches can't be. And large churches are effective in ways that small churches can't be. But we're all part of the body of Christ and we're not gonna push off of each other to make ourselves look better. We're not gonna do it. And if you ever hear me do that, I give you permission to call me out because I don't wanna be guilty of sowing seeds of division in the body of Christ. In fact, if we're gonna make a mistake, we're gonna err on the side of being for other believers, not against them, okay? If we're going to make a mistake, I want us to be known by what we're for and not what we're against. And we're gonna be for other believers. We're gonna speak well of other ministries, other denominations, and other churches. We're gonna err on the side of being for other believers and not against them. Which doesn't mean that we're not gonna call blatant error, error. I'm not saying that, okay? If somebody comes out and says, you know, well, Jesus was a sinner, I don't, or I don't really believe he rose from the dead, we're gonna actually say, you know what? That falls outside of, you know, the realm of historical, traditional Christian beliefs, and we'll call that out. But we're not gonna nitpick over what style of music we should be doing in church or what version of the Bible we should be reading when there are brothers and sisters who are being beheaded around the world because they refuse to renounce the name of Jesus. I mean, for real, guys. And I hope you heard my language there. I chose my words very intentionally, that we have brothers and sisters around the world being beheaded because of their faith in Christ. Somebody shared an article with me this week that I was trying to find as I was preparing my message. I don't know if it was on social media or if it was in an email, but the gist of the article was I think there was a country in Africa somewhere where there are Christians by the thousands being slaughtered. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we desperately need each other. They need us, and I'll tell you what, we need them. We need perspective and we need to pray and we need to be aware of what our common enemy is doing to our own around the world. And when we recognize what he's doing and that we're a part of a larger family, that there are followers of Jesus in Uganda, there are followers of Jesus in Nepal, followers of Jesus in China, in Chile, and in Nigeria, and Somalia, and Haiti, and everywhere around the world. There are men, there are women, and there are children. Some are rich, most are very poor. They speak every language that you can imagine from every ethnic background possible, from more denominations than you can name. Yet we all worship one name. The name we sang about, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We need each other, therefore we pray. We don't just hope, we don't just wish, we don't just look on and say, hey, man, it's really sad what's happening to our family around the world. No, we pray. We pray for power. 
We pray that we would be as active in sharing our faith as our brothers and sisters around the world are and who are losing their lives for doing so. We pray that we could know what's best, but also I pray that we would be one. And I hope that you pray that as well. And again, why do we do this? We do this because as followers of Jesus, our goal and aim should be to glorify God and help the world know that God sent Jesus. The second reason we do this, first is we desperately need each other. The second is because the world will see God's love. The world will see God's love. When we're unified as the family of God, the world will see active, passionate love of Jesus demonstrated by his family. In fact, I love the imagery that comes from the verse I read to you earlier in verse 7 of Romans chapter 15, when Paul said in his prayer, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now the imagery comes from, see the New Testament, most of it was written in the Greek language. And the Greek word that Paul used for what is translated as accept one another is actually a very long compound Greek word that I'm not even going to attempt to try and pronounce to you. Um, but it's very picturesque. And the imagery that's conveyed in the word that, cho- that Paul chose to use by accept one another is this idea of imagine like you putting your arms around someone and pulling them in into a close and tight embrace. And then it carries this idea that you then like grab the hand of that person and you walk hand in hand in unity and in companionship and friendship. So when you accept somebody just like Christ accepted you, how did Jesus accept you? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we agreed with him, before we had responded to his love, before we you know, were perfect, which we're still not, before we had everything together, which we still don't, he accepted us. And that's how we're to accept one another as well, despite our differences. We reach out, we pull them in, we embrace, we walk hand in hand as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to let the world know who Jesus is. We may be different. We may have a different focus, a different emphasis, different preferences. But listen, we're gonna put God's purposes over our preferences. And God's purpose is that we would be one so that God would be praised and the world would know that God sent Jesus into the world. When we do this, that's when our reputation as the church will begin to change. Oh, how it needs to change. Instead of the church being known by what we're against, right? Oh, they're against that. That's what the world looks in on and thinks. They're against that. Oh, they're they're protesting another movement. They're protesting this. Oh, they're against that group of people. They're against that. No, we're going to be known by the grace of God by what we're for. And what are we for? We are four people experiencing the grace and the love of Jesus Christ that came to set them free. That's what we're for. And that happens when we love and accept one another. In fact, Jesus couldn't have said it any more clearly than he did in John 13, which is the same passage of scripture that I read to you from earlier. The same setting, he's around a table with his disciples. The night of the last supper, And he says this to them, a new command I give to you. The Old Testament had 600 some commands. And he's like, guys, listen, here's what I want you to understand. Here's the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
And not just love one another, but he goes on and clarifies it and says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Matthew, when you were sitting at the tax collector's booth, cheating your own people of money to give to Rome and keeping some for yourself, and I asked you to follow me, I accepted you before you knew who I was, before you truly believed that I was the son of God, would you love one another as I have loved you? He goes on. Verse 35 is so powerful. By what? Say this out loud with me. By this, everyone, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you what? If you love one another. Notice what he didn't say there. He didn't say the world would know you're my disciples by your right doctrine. He didn't say the world would know you're my disciples by your denominational preferences, by your music style or worship style, by the correct version of the Bible that you read because we all know that those other losers are just gonna go to hell because they're not reading the only true version. <laughs> no, there's one description in all of the Bible that Jesus gives for how the world will know that we are his. And what is it? If we love one another. This is so powerful, guys. I hope you don't miss this. This is why we pray. Listen, we believe God answers our prayers. We believe he hears our prayers. We believe that if we humble ourselves and pray, he will hear and heal we don't pray small, generic prayers. We pray big, bold, specific, faith-filled, and passionate prayers. We pray that God would unify his church because we desperately need each other, because the world will know God's love. And the third reason is because we can do infinitely more together. We can do infinitely more together than we can apart. I believe that the, the local church is the hope of the world. We are the bride of Christ. And collectively, all of the local churches that are planted in every village and every city all around the world, that is the hope of the world. That is the expression of God's grace and love to the world. That is the vehicle through which God has chosen to reveal himself to people who desperately need him. And we can do more together than we can apart, which is why I love with all of my heart our volunteers, those that have come to the realization that as a follower of Jesus, I don't just come to church but I am the church and, I, and we exist for the world and we can do more together than we can apart. And you hear us talk all the time about helping you take next steps. We wanna help every person take their next step in their journey of faith. And maybe you've asked the question, well, what does that even mean? I wanna take my next step. Well, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus here, then your next step, if you're not serving, is to find a serve team and get involved. And I just wanna encourage you guys to maybe consider heading to the information table before you leave and sign up for our team member orientation. This Tuesday night, two nights from now, we're gonna be having a meeting where we get to talk about the vision that God's giving us and, and having everyone be fully equipped and trained to know what's my place? Where do I fit? What's my role? Because we all have a position to play. We're part of the body and we all have a special function and we're incomplete without you. And so I would just, as your pastor, encourage you to maybe sign up for that and to get off the sidelines and into the game and join the team because we're all part of one family here at Life Church Buffalo. And we want to help you find your fit 
and begin to function in the giftings that God has put within you. That's also why we do things like festival. Listen, this isn't a church event, guys. This is a community event. It's a community event that is being hosted by our church, which means we need you. We need you to help this be all that it can be so that when people in our community come onto our campus to have a good time with their family, they are being served well and with excellence. And last year, when we were a much smaller church, we rallied 100 volunteers to make that event successful as we served 2,000 people in our community. Now this year, I have no idea how many more to expect, but we've gotten a reputation in our community for hosting family-friendly community events. And so we've upped the ante this year and we're asking for 120 people to step up and say, yes, you know what, I'll be a part of that. And thankfully, 47 of you have said yes, which means we've got 73 more spots for some of you to step up and be a part of being Jesus to our community. Because we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. And there's a little more than 73 people in this room. I'm just saying, right? I know many of you have already signed up and thank you for signing up. But we want to serve our community with excellence and we need you to be a part of it because we can do more together than we can apart. The enemy, though, wants you to continue just thinking about yourself as it relates to your involvement here at the church. What's well, my weekend and I don't have much time off and I, I come to church to be fed. I'm, I'm so glad that you come to church to be fed. And you're going to continue to be fed as you take on the same mindset that Jesus had who said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to follow in his footsteps and serve the people around us. Listen, as the pastor of this church, I'm going to passionately fight for unity because there's too much at stake, guys. There's way too much at stake. Lives are at stake. Generations are at stake. Eternal destinies are at stake. And so I will fight for unity in this church while we're at this size right now at 400. And I will continue to passionately fight for unity, Lord willing, in a couple years when we're 4,000 people and we've got campuses spread across the city because there is too much at stake, guys. We're gonna fight for unity. We're not gonna tolerate these little bickering, petty fights and arguments over things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. There's too much at stake. And we don't just do this by what we have here on the weekends and by doing things like festival. We also know that we can do infinitely more together than we can apart by leveraging what God has given us to serve the broader body of Christ around the world. Many of you know this, but for those of you who are newer, we take 10% of every dollar that comes into the tithes and offerings of this church and we put that into a separate account which we use to fund our missions and outreach efforts where we want to partner up with other ministries and other organizations that are sharing and showing the love of Jesus to the people in our community. And our philosophy is that Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that we would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we want uh, representatives in our missions and outreach efforts to kind of represent each of those three arenas. So in Jerusalem, what is that? That's West Seneca and Buffalo and Western New York which is why we send a meal to the West Seneca Food Bank for every connection card we receive from a first-time guest because we want to have representation of God's love to the people in our community in Jerusalem. 
Buffalo City Mission, we partner with them. Youth Advantage as well is a missions organization led by Russ Kingsbury, who hosts uh, soccer camps and basketball camps and flag football for underprivileged youth in our city. And at every event, at every gathering, the gospel is presented. You guys are giving towards that. Judea and Samaria, that's the region beyond. And so we want to be able to help organizations like Just Joy Ministries. Carol McLeod, the founding pastor's wife of this church. God has given her a message of joy that she is sharing and spreading to women around the nation through conferences and through books. She has authored, I think, nine books now. And really around the world through the devotions that she writes on YouVersion. We're helping, you're helping to fund her ministry. And then around the world, to the uttermost parts of the world, which is why we support Craig McLeod as the director of HBI Global Partners, who is helping the global church to fulfill the Great Commission in India and around the world. We're supporting the training of, of pastors in a region of India called Andhra Pradesh. We support 12 pastors who are, over the course of five years, being trained on what it takes to plant churches, raise up leaders for those churches, and continue planting more churches. It's a disciple-making movement. Listen, you guys are having an impact on more than 750,000 believers on the other side of the globe that you'll never meet because you give. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being the church. Because we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. And this was the heartbeat and the attitude that made the first century church thrive. Think about what they had. What did they have? They didn't have buildings. Right? They didn't have television ministry. They didn't have any fundraisers or special campaigns. And what was against them? Massive persecution. People weren't just tweeting something bad about the pastor. They were murdering in droves anyone who said, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what the first century church faced. And yet this band of uneducated, passionate Jesus followers spread the gospel across the known world. And were known by their communities been people who would say, man, we, we may not believe what they believe, but my God, do they love one another. Look at how they treat each other. The way they stand together in unity is nothing I've ever seen before. In fact, I want to show you how Luke describes it in Acts chapter 4. It says, all the believers were, everybody say this with me, this is so important. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were unified. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And I want to pause right here because this to me is, this is crazy love, guys. Like this is next level, like I don't get it kind of love. This is a kind of love that I've rarely seen or honestly even experienced or lived out in my own life. In fact, in another portion in Acts, it explains what these Jesus followers did. Many of them sold all of their possessions, and they brought the proceeds of what they had sold to the church, to the leaders of the church, and they just gave it freely. They said, here, give as you see fit. Meet the needs as they come up. And the result of that crazy love, that, that radical generosity, we see in verse 33, and it says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Do you see the power of this kind of unity? That every need was met by God 
through the family of God, when they didn't see themselves as individuals and they didn't see their stuff as their stuff, but they saw themselves as part of a family and we all need each other. And we want to demonstrate the love of God and we want to bring praise to God and we want the world to know who Jesus is. So everything we have, God is yours. I want you to think about the skeptics that you know in your life. Think about how they would respond and what they would say if we began to live this way, if this kind of unity was present in the body of Christ. The skeptics that would say, you know what, I don't, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing and the whole rising from the dead thing I'm not sure I can jump on board with, but I have never seen a group of people take care of their own that way. I've never seen people like rally around need and the way they're generous, even with people outside the faith like that, I don't get that. That's gonna be the strongest testimony of God's love to the world around us is when we begin to love one another this way. See, because I'm gonna argue all day long that the world is sick and tired of hearing about the love of God. They wanna see it. They're sick and tired of hearing about it. They wanna see it. They wanna see us actually walk out and live what we say we believe. They want to see it. And how will they see it? They'll see it when we love and accept one another, just as Christ accepted us. And that's why we pray. This is not an, oh, bless me, Lord, kind of prayer. This is a prayer for the family of God. So as a church, we pray that we would be active in sharing our faith. We pray for power. We pray that we would know what's best, but I pray that we would also build into our daily prayer lives. God, would you make us one? That we would continue to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years ago. Lord, would you make us one? What would happen if we stood together and said what we have exists for you, God, exists for the world? We're the owners of nothing and the stewards of everything. What would happen if we began to pray and rather than take shots at each other, we stand together with our brothers and sisters and we believe that God has called us to be a part of his family with a higher calling and a higher purpose to serve our higher God. We are one body under one name, serving one God with one purpose to bring his love and his grace into the world.